Today's conversation is with Ganesh Padmanabhan. He is responsible for making a billion-dollar division within Dell. Today, he's going to be sharing with us when to start business development and how to manage your partner's sales process, as well as outbound prospecting that works, when to scale your sales team, and if you should focus on new business or expanding your current clients. Join us next week when we speak with Jonah Mandel. He is the Director of Sales for North America for Alibaba.com. He's going to be speaking about what to measure your SDR and AEs by, on-the-job training for SDRs, and what kind of questions to ask prospects for long-term improvement. We have a great conversation with Ganesh today. I hope you enjoy. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help. I want to hear your feedback about the podcast so that I could make it better and more relevant to you. Send me your thoughts or questions you would like to have answered to adam at startupsales.io or use the Get in Touch link on the website, startupsales.io. Of course, I am also available on LinkedIn. Just search for Adam Springer. Looking forward to delivering you more and more impactful and helpful interviews. Ganesh, thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here, Adam. Thank you for having me. Great. I, I kind of want to start with kind of doing a little brief history on, on your experience. Right now, you are the VP of Business Development and Marketing for Cognitive Scale, um, a startup around AI. And before that, you were the VP of Corporate Strategy at, at Dell uh, EMC, where you were uh, responsible for the corporate strategy, marketing, business development, sales, all that. Uh, this seems like a, a, a huge scope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, and you're, you were respons- actually responsible for bringing up Dell, one of Dell's youngest billion-dollar businesses. Uh, it's very impressive. However, Dell is uh, very clearly not a startup, and, and our listeners are, are startup founders and managers. So the question is, is how can your experience and knowledge relate to the listeners? No, that's a, that's a great question. So I'll give you a little bit of the background, and then I'll you know, try to bridge it back into how it relates um, and uh, how, how this is fun, right? So I started, I, I spent about a decade at Dell total, and I started off at Dell in an engineering capacity. And the, one of the best things about, about working in large companies, you get to do a lot of different things. If you're the right kind who's actually not looking at, you know, security and stability, but you're looking at how do I actually take on more and deliver more and do more, and that's like the perfect playground. You got to, you know, a lot of things have to line up, a lot of the right place at the right time kind of stuff too. But I started off in engineering, went to Asia, started an engineering center in Asia. It was a great experience because there it was like you're completely a remote office. Nobody cares about you. All you are is a line item in someone's P&L. And you have to manage everything within that. So I helped start the uh, design center for Dell at Bangalore. 
And then, you know, so I did that for a few years and came back to Austin, Texas to work on the corporate side. And one of the first uh, projects I worked on at Dell when I came back was, hey, we, uh, Michael called a, a senior vice president at that time and said, uh, this gentleman, hey, go figure out how we can make money using software. Because Dell was a pure hardware and infrastructure company, we had to build a software business. How do we go about doing it? And I was lucky to be tapped in to actually go be part of one of the five first five members of the team to go uh, build this business out. So I started that, led to our uh, beginning of our cloud business. From there, we actually um, um, built out the big data analytics business, the converged infrastructure business. So a lot of the early stage, you know, there is a there's a market opportunity here. Let's go figure out how we can actually go build something. So that's the kind of roles that I actually worked on for like, you know, 60, 70% of my time at Dell. And towards the end, the, all those businesses that I actually worked on, so I had gone through, set up the cloud business, the big data analytics business, the business applications business, the converged infrastructure business, and the high performance computing business. All of them con uh, put together, uh, just before I left, we, you know, uh, grew the business to a billion dollars from about 200 million with all legacy stuff uh, less than five years ago. So there was a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's, although it's not typically a startup, but in a large company, you know, once you have the right sponsorship and stuff, you still have to prove it out. In fact, you have to prove it out faster and sooner than if you're in a startup. And what I mean by that is saying startups actually always worry about running out of cash. How do I actually have enough runway to go do the things that I want to do? In a large company, cash isn't, you know, you'll get an investment, but ROI is the metric that they actually measure you on. So uh, if you don't get your first sale of a product that hasn't even been uh, built before and you're starting to write this thing, but you have to have a sale in six months, if it doesn't happen, I mean, sorry, buddy, we'll go do something else. So that was the experience I went through at Dell, and I worked, you know, helped my team. We groomed from... 30 people to, uh, you know, five people to 30 people to 300 people before I left. And it was a fascinating, fascinating journey, being in the cusp of all the disruptive technology, being able to work with, you know, customers of all sizes, but mostly the large enterprises. And, you know, having the cushion to work in a little bit more flexible manner within the large mothership, but you had to earn every day, every right. Fast forward, uh, two years ago, I left Dell uh, to do something on my own, and um, it so happened one of the first VCs that I sat down with happened to be the executive chairman of this company. And we were talking about, uh, you know, it's cognitive scale. We were talking about what they were faced, facing at that time and what they were trying to do. And they were like, how do I put a scale, a growth engine in place to go grow this business from, you know, the, the, the 20 customers we have to 100 to 500 to 5,000, right? So that was about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And uh, I joined the team here to start looking at how do we build a growth engine for the company. And uh, in addition to just sales, you know, a couple of big levers that came out was one was, you know, marketing and business development. How do you actually enable of ecosystem of players, be it partners, be it you know, channel partners, system integrators, just people who build on your platform. How do we enable a big ecosystem to go scale your, your, your business and yourself? And how do you use the strategic marketing as a lever to go build that growth engine and go scale business? I think so a lot of different things that I actually do. And a good thing about a startup, and I learned this, you know, you can, again, you can, 
it's almost like a big company for me personally, which is you can do a lot of different things. You can bring a lot of things together. You can connect the dots and you get the results. You can see the impact of your decisions and your actions much sooner than it probably in a large company. So uh, yeah, I don't know whether I answered your question, but a lot of my, my background is, you know, I've done everything from product to software development to uh, engineering to sales and pre-sales to business development strategy. I was general manager of this billion-dollar business at Dell before. I run the business development and uh, marketing side of the functions here at Cognitive Scale. There is a lot of learnings that I just, you know, uh, I, I always try to um, package it in bite-size uh, entities so I can actually reuse it. And there's a lot of learnings that I took from my experience in large players like Dell and deploying it here at Cognitive Scale and we're seeing the results. Wow. Uh, the, su the Superman. <laughs> a little bit of everything there. Uh, let's, let's start with the business development side then uh, and then move our way into, into the sales side. What kind of relationship between sales and biz dev is is needed for both to work together i think you know it's the first question you got to answer in a startup environment is when are you ready for business development versus just sales and there's a maturity of the organization that has to be taken into account right if you're actually building a b2b product that goes into um, um, a customer a buyer who is in IT or in a business unit in a large company, and their usual route to market or the way they actually, the, the people, the organizations, the entities they go to to get advice and who, are, who influence them are like these big system integrators, the Deloitte's, the IBM's of the world, or they actually look at guidance from a large you know, platform player like a Microsoft or an IBM or something like that. And you're getting more and more of that and you're actually not you know, you're, when, you're not, when you're driving sales traction, you're getting winning deals one after the other, there will be, you will definitely find that point in time where you actually see, okay, I need to actually play bigger and I need to play broader and I need to scale this business. And you're looking for these shoulders of giants that you can climb on to go and make that happen and go scale your business through. So first question you have to answer is in your maturity curve, where are you? Are you trying to get your first sale? And if that is, you're trying to get your first sale and you're trying to think about business development, that's not the place to be, right? Uh, do you have a repeatable sales process? Do you know that you actually can, when you can, you know, you can find an opportunity, qualify it, go through the sales cycle, close it, and then deliver on that value? Have you kind of thought through that and you have a pretty good grip on how you, that happens? After you've done that, is when you actually start having to think about, okay, how do I actually now think about scaling the business, right? And for business development, uh, a few things that, you know, um, the, 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 the alignment between sales and business development is actually interesting. In most startups, usually the sales and business development is usually the same person, you know, but as you mature, you've got to start thinking about it from a slightly different perspective. The business development function that I've seen, you know, work well in other organizations as well as what we do here is you've got to have a strategic outlook. And it's not quarter to quarter trying to close deals. There is definitely the tactical priorities that needs to take an impact. But you're thinking, how do I get the, the big arch, the big curve to go beyond, right? And then so there will be a lot of the profile of uh, opportunities that you work will be different. The profile of 
people you need to have to go work that will have to be different by the nature, by definition. So uh, the alignment is going to be very critical to make that happen because you, mo- you want to make sure that this is like re- right hand, left hand, right? If, if one of the teams is not successful, the other is not going to be successful in the long run and vice versa. So uh, alignment is important in terms of how do we try do handoffs and you know some of these are big company words like handoffs and stuff but things like if, if you as long as my you know bob my sales leader here knows that hey we have this opportunity that probably you know it's coming through this si partner can you go can you have someone go qualified before i get my a involved i'm like absolutely because i believe that's the best way to utilize the resource within the company across bd and and sales so there's a lot of um you know there's no magic bullet here, but the way I think about it is one, you know, think strategic. Two is look at how do I, you know, there's there's a big uh, emphasis you got to put on enablement, and you know, this is where I've seen most startups. You start too early before your product is ready, before you go to market is ready, before you've figured out the sales process. You're bound to fail if you start too late and you don't think about it and put a conscious effort in saying, how do I enable some of these other partners to go sell on my behalf? And again, business development comes in a variety of different ways. There's some things early on that you have to do both around market development. How do you educate the market? How do I identify? How do I get the word out? How do I get the message out? There's a lot of things that uh, you got to think through. But once you've got through it, you know, identifying the right kind of skill sets and putting the right process in place to make sure that these two, you know, sales and BD work hand in hand to go deliver it. I think it's going to be very, very uh, impactful and useful to do. Okay, so first have the sales process understood and in line, and then be able to build out your biz dev team. Yeah, I think you know, and and part some of the, it also depends. The, the nuance here is, uh, in short, yes, but the nuance here is if you. Uh, uh, if you are in a business wherein uh, you're never gonna, you always have to, you've built your business, you've built your product to be always a part of a larger platform, right? You still have to sell it, then you have to take a slightly hybrid approach to it. Uh, that you're not, you're, you're, if you're not touching the actual end buyer, right? They're buying you as a part of some other thing. And there are different business models. But in, in, uh, in summary, I would say yes. I mean, figure out, you, you have to get your sales process understood. You don't have to get it perfected. You have to make sure you know what you don't know and you know what uh, the pitfalls are. Because otherwise, you won't be able to enable someone else who's not even as close to you in your product, to your product and your teams and your engineering teams to go sell on your behalf, right? It's going to be really hard to do. So have that process understood um, and identify the, the loopholes. You don't have to perfect it, but I think that's when you actually start thinking, okay, now I have a repeatable process. How do I scale it? You still won't be using the exact same process, but then you know what to expect when you go into a different process. So that it's very good. So when you actually get a business development partner um, or a channel partner, the when you sign somebody on to resell your data, are you teaching them what the what the process looks like on your end and training them on how to best approach it? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it depends on, again, the, the kind of product, the market you're in, right? So, for example, AI. I mean, it's the hot thing right now. There's a lot of BS in the market. Everybody thinks they're an AI company. Everybody thinks they're doing AI. Uh, more than half of this is fluff, and, you know, there's, there's no truth behind it. 
the market is still very confusing. So put yourself in the customer's shoes, right? The customer is thinking about it and saying, who do I trust? I mean, I'm getting this noise from everybody here. So there are a lot of basics you got to actually do. And in some cases, when you recruit the right partners, are they respected, well thought of in that particular domain? In which case, you have to make sure that how do you influence them to carry your message in their method is going to be critical. But if it's a brand new, like what we felt, for example, a lot of the early you know, uh, system integrators, large uh, organizations who would put people at a problem were looking at markets like AI with, oh, this is another opportunity for me to ramp up a lot of uh, man hours of work to be done, right? It was, it was, and there was a lot of confusion and like most large organizations have the, 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 the innovators dilemma, it's really hard for them to put their finger on, how do I actually make it work in this new regard? So your experience as a startup, and if you've figured out that method, educating them, saying, let me tell you exactly the playbook I would run to go make this happen, right? And every time I've done this, here's my smiling customers. They know it, they love it, and they love our approach here. Is there a way we can actually take this and make it your own method that goes into your usual sales process, your engagement process, engagement model that you have? and then provide a hybrid approach to take it to customers. So it's not going to be, and most large SIs have their method. And, you know, I, I like to say, we don't want our millions to be confused by their billions, right? So they're the big players. They own the process. They own the customer in most cases. So, but there is value that you can add as a startup to go in and say, let me tell you exactly. If you're looking to sell, you know, personalization to the chief marketing officer of a Fortune 500 company, let me tell you the six things that we do that makes it work. And here's the five customers who said yes to us and are uh, having us products in, uh, uh, in production, right? That conversation makes the, the, the partners also pay attention. And you're sitting there and you're actually turning this whole conversation to be less about you and the product and stuff. It is all about how do I get to that happy customer at the end of it, right? Makes a huge difference. Yeah, you got to sell the process. Uh... And the, and the end result, not the product itself. Yep. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it all, there's a couple of, and I know we didn't, we, uh, uh, we didn't go into this part and the question, the line of questions. I think if you really ask, you know, if you're a startup and you're trying to do something, you're trying to disrupt a market, you're trying to add value, you're trying to build a business, the, your biggest partner in the journey is going to be that first or the second or the first few customers. I mean, there is, you know, there's, yes, your co-founders, your, you know, teams and stuff too. But the lever for you to actually go and uh, grow the company beyond, you know, getting to a repeatable process, getting product market fit, it all comes down to actually that first few customers who will stand up on the podium and say, you know, they solved a problem for me. It made a huge difference. And I support them and I actually trusted them and I'm glad I did, right? There is a, if you just orient pretty much everything you do in terms of saying, how do I get more of those kind of customers? And, you know, again, not thinking about product, what do I have to do on the repeatability on the product? And those things will come through, but just go making, you know, getting happy customers one after the other. Then the rest of the scale setup that you're putting in place will align you know, uh, very much into it. You asked me about my Dell uh, experience. One of the biggest lessons uh, I learned in my career working at Dell was the customer obsession, right? I mean, um, 
Michael Dell would, I mean, I've never seen anybody so maniacally focused on the customer and customer satisfaction and solving the real problems, not worrying about business models, not worrying about uh, products, not worrying about those, those things follow. And you can see it, Dell is um, a, a tech giant with Dell EMC and Dell Technologies, the entire consortium now. So customer obsession drives everything else. And you, know, you, you work hard to actually uh, create a mind-altering experience for your customer, things follow. Absolutely. So how, how do you approach your first clients and what, are, what is it that you're asking of them to, to speak on your behalf? Are you asking for white papers or, or what? Well, I mean, to, to, one thing I would say is like white papers, blogs, you know, uh, videos and stuff to me are tactics, right? But why do startups actually uh, make a difference? There's a few things, right? Why customers or like large companies, right, you know, Dell Technologies is a customer of cognitive scale. Uh, NBC Universal is a customer of cognitive scale. JP Morgan Chase is a customer of cognitive scale. Why do they actually want to partner with this when they have so many options, right? So many options across big players, big companies, small companies. It all comes down to the vision you're painting, right? So if we can convince them that you're on a journey that fundamentally changes or alters uh, the, the, the makeup of a problem that is there in the, in the market today or a solution to a problem that's there in the market today. And you are so maniacally focused on it. And you, if you can get them excited about being a part of that vision, of being a part of that journey with you, there's nothing beyond. Everything else follows, right? So to, to get your first customers, it's not just about, there's a tactical aspect of, you know, it, it all starts with, you know, you're trying to get your first customer. Uh, prospecting. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, especially in startups. When, you have, when you're in a big company, you get all the support you need. There'll be like hundreds and thousands of marketing people doing events and stuff everywhere. You don't have to worry about awareness and you know, everybody knows about you and you're just trying to get your message through to the salespeople, right? Uh, but in, in, in startups, you, you know, you've got to prospect. And one of the fundamental uh, truths of the market today is customers don't want to be sold to. Clients don't want to be sold to. Nobody, I mean, nobody wants a, a salesperson calling on them and say, hey, I want you to buy this from me. No. They want to, the good news is, though, that they actually want to buy. So they want to be part of the process. Uh, so even it starts with prospecting. Instead of actually going and say, hey, do you, did you see my message that I sent you? And I still get enough of that myself, right? Hey, I noticed that you're actually uh, head of market development at uh, Cognitive Scale, we have this great service that you should actually consider. I'm like, I didn't learn anything from that interaction. When I'm actually in that, uh, looking at that email, I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but what did I take out of that interaction, right? Everyone's twice as busy as you imagine they are. I mean, that's the fundamental truth. Especially if you are in a position of power and buying power in a company and a B2B organization, you're, try, you're three times as busy. So instead of actually trying to get them to you know, listen to you and what you have to pitch them and sell them, give them something they're looking for. Give them something that gives them a value out of that interaction they had with you. That's how you start building the relationship. And, you know, and then you start figuring out the engagement model to go do it. So to come back to the notion of getting those early customers and focusing on making them like raving fans of your product, of your company, of your vision is going to be critical. And then the tactics of actually saying, hey, 
do you want to actually, you know, let's do a blog together. Let's do a press release together. If you're, you know, if you think that's going to have a, a impact on you, let's actually go speak on a panel together. There's a lot of tactics that actually come in, but it comes down to actually the, for a startup, you got to get those customers be raving fans of your vision and of the team of the promise you actually uh, are promising. Uh, absolutely. I always uh, push my team to, to sell, sell the idea and the concept and, and our roadmap of where we're heading, not what, just what we have now, but where we're heading and get them to be a part of that. I agree. I agree. I mean, you still have to solve the problem at hand, but you're exactly right. I think uh, that, it, that's, that's one fundamental thing. You know, when you're anywhere in this disruptive markets and new technologies and new businesses and startups and stuff, it's fundamentally important that you have a vision, you, you, you get people along on that, not just the customers, but also your teams, your partners, everybody. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's make that transition over to sales as, as we're going there. Uh, how, how does a new startup or a new business unit uh, start to prospect um, and to sell when nobody has heard of you? You know, uh, I heard this story from a, um, uh, from a friend of mine who uh, is a CEO of a company now in the Bay Area. And there's a story where, you know, he goes into this meeting and there's a customer out there. It's a very famous company uh, now. Uh, and he was like, how come we have never heard of you before? And he used this beautiful analogy, and I use it all the time now, saying, have you heard of Chinese bamboo? And they're like, mm, yeah, I know Chinese bamboo. I said, yes. So in the first year, when you actually plant the Chinese bamboo seeds, you don't see anything. You, you know, it's growing, it's doing stuff under the bottom, it's actually growing different wines on it, and there's all this root actually taking place and stuff. Uh, and you pour water, you take care of it. In your second year, you still haven't heard of it. You don't see anything outside. still all happening. The magic is happening inside. Four or five years later, six years, if you're lucky, it starts sprouting out as a little bamboo. And then it goes so tall and so high, and, and it is able to sustain itself. But what happened in the first formative years was fundamental for it to grow and scale to what it has to be. It's the... It's the if, if somebody asks me the question saying, hey, how come we've never heard of you? That would be my example of saying, we were busy building the foundation of what is going to be a great place, and you'll be so happy that you're partnering with us to go do it. But uh, you know, it, it, this, this story always stuck with me, if you will, the Chinese bamboo. But to your point, uh, making it practical, when nobody has heard of you, right? It's really hard. I mean, prospecting is hard. And one of the most effective ways to do it is, as I said, uh, give value to every interaction that you're having with the prospect. You know, just making sure we, you know, and prospecting is on one hand, it's a game of numbers, right? You knock on a uh, hundred doors, you know, 10 of them might actually peep in to see whether you're, you know, what do you have to say? So this, it's a game of numbers. And then today it's becoming a lot more, as you said, people don't want to be sold to, but they want to buy, they want to engage. So how do I become very razor focused on providing value and interaction? I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my, uh, um, you know, biz dev reps uh, actually is just doing, you know, DG reps, uh, just doing prospecting. He told me, hey, you got this meeting with this big bank. Uh, I'm like, what'd you do? I said, I follow this guy who is very vocal as a chief innovation officer. You know, I've been following him for a couple of months and uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, I'm seeing his activity. 
I'm engaging with them. So first, I'm just liking and telling him that that's a great article and stuff. Then I started looking for other pieces of information that can augment what he is, she is doing there. And started, you know, instead of actually saying, hey, have you seen my email? I sent you five messages and I haven't gotten back from you. It's like, hey, you might find this interesting that I know you talked about this particular topic. Here's another topic. Here's a similar topic by this lady here who said something. Just want to, you know, thought you'll enjoy it. Have that uh, conversation going. It takes time, but those interactions become so valuable and the person is like, okay, you know, how can I help you? I mean, there's, it's just human tendency. They're going to turn around and say, what's well, great. You've actually been following me. What can I do? Or you, if, there is a, if there's something that comes up in the interaction saying, oh, by the way, we can actually help you solve that. We've done that for these five customers. Let's actually have a conversation. But the, the point being uh, the interaction model. Another great example I have is someone who prospected me as a buyer uh, was this company. Um, I want to say Madison Logic is the name of the company. And this is a lady who, uh, you know, again, I saw this pattern, right? For about a month, month and a half, she was engaging with me in social media and, you know, retweeting my tweets and uh, uh, getting conversations going in LinkedIn and things like that. And then she started giving me, hey, you actually, have you thought of this particular thing? And she's giving me this thing. It's a method and it works. And she sent me a, a, a little, you know, plaque gift, you know, that says, my name and chief hustler at the bottom of it saying, hey, I thought you would enjoy it. It was cheeky. I mean, uh, but it, it worked. I was like, okay, what do I, uh, tell me what you guys have again, right? And then that started a conversation. We're doing some business with them, some small projects and stuff. But making interactions count and assuming everybody's going to be twice as busy as, as you think they are is going to be important and it's going to be it's going to it's the it's the root of how you do it. and then there's the method around it right how do you actually go look at it? and i'm a, you know being uh, also leading marketing i'm a huge fan of account-based marketing and the need to actually be more precision targeting than than spray and pay if you will and we even use our own technology to go do that uh, with ai but the idea is in a, the 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 mad prospecting starts with actually making sure that you're uh, making every interaction count, and you're giving value to the interaction that they want to engage with you. Because this is a, this is a market of engagement. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel it's very important to, you're, even though you're not actually really having a conversation and building a real relationship, it's a digital relationship. But that relationship is key before trying to sell somebody. You need to have that rapport. Yeah, and the, the last thing I would say about prospecting, you're right, and the last thing I would say about prospecting is, and as I said, it's a game of numbers, numbers, right? So you have to follow, you have to have the process. And the process is, I mean, but you know, we know that on an average, in a market like ours, uh, uh, you know, AI, everybody wants to talk about it. And at the stage of the company that we're in, we get a meeting in about seven to eight touches, which is extremely, you know, uh, which is very good. And that's, you know, because of the way that we're targeting those touches, but also the way we are actually you know, making every interaction count. But, you know, when you know, when you're actually starting off, the only thing you can trust in the whole thing is the process. And the process is, hey, I'm going to make, did I send the 500, you know, uh, the, the, did I make 500 calls this week? Did I actually send this 2,000 emails? I mean, there's a method. And then you'll start seeing what is working. Uh, and then you start fine-tuning. So there's always the, the, the process, the, the cadence, you know, have the five emails, five to six calls, have the conversation going and it takes about 
you know, 12, 13, maybe 15, 20 touches before you actually get a meeting, which uh, is fine. But, you know, there is the value of the process, but then I think there is the, the qualitative aspect of looking at making every interaction count uh, will give you results, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. This works. Uh, this this could only work though for larger uh, priced items uh, or products. You can't do this if if you're selling a, a hundred dollar monthly subscription. <laughs> you're you're right. Actually, I mean that's a whole different model, right? I mean, if it's like the uh, and I should have caveated that. You're right. I think uh, if you're doing a hundred dollars a month monthly subscription, you're trying to get users and. You know, your whole approach is actually has to be fundamentally different than this, right? You're not trying to get a a, a big uh, um, B2B senior executive to take a meeting. You're trying to actually get to the users, you know, and the user, so if you price it smart enough, then they don't need approvals and permissions. You just, as long as you can, they can swipe a credit card, you got your customer, right? Then it's all <laughs> about customer success and making sure that they act, you're delivering value on the promise and so forth. All right. so. You're, let's say we're hiring, we're, we've got our team, they're making these connections, they're building the rapport and they're starting to sell. At what point do you, do you start to look at how to grow um, and think of big picture? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's, no, there's no clear answer to that, but it, it, there's a lot of it depends in there. But the way, you know, I would think about it is when you're actually selling and your process is working, you're actually getting your first few customers. Uh, it's I can't tell you how important it is to not just think sales, right, but to think entire customer experience. And after you sell it, if your delivery team didn't deliver, if the product didn't work, I mean, you just lost a big opportunity. Don't try to go faster then. Fix those problems first, right? So there's a lot of that thing around, you know, making sure that you're providing a bulletproof, completely bound, end-to-end, -end, beautiful experience for the client, first primary priority. Once you do that, then you get start looking at how do I build a repeatable process? You know, especially if you're looking at products that have long sales cycle, qualifying becomes extremely important. And, you know, I say uh, there are two winners in a deal, the one who gets the deal and the one who gets out first, right? So it's going to be important that you actually get the process right, the qualification right. You're not spending cycles if you don't have to. So that part, you're, so the first part is making sure your first few customers are delighted, raving fans. Second stage is actually how do I, you know, uh, uh, figure out the process, the repeatability, or what are the, what are the acts that I need to go through to get to happy customer, solve that part out. Then you start looking at saying, okay, I have a product that's working. Uh, I have customers that are happy. Still a lot of work to be done, but these are basic things that I met. I kind of know what process works for me. Now let me look at how do I grow and, uh, grow and scale the business? And that could be in a variety of different fashions. Like, A, do I have potential to go and make people spend more money on my same thing? So do I just have a big strategic pursuit kind of teams that'll just spend long sales cycles? But since I know my method, I can just extrapolate it, build it, modify it for a larger sale and go after it. Or do I actually go into partners and ecosystem players who are already having those big, larger, bigger conversations and me be a part of them to grow with them, right? And that's when you actually get into that particular thing. So I would stage it that way, right? 
uh, get some early raving fans, customers. Uh, perfect your, uh, at least understand and lock down your process. And then you go in and say, let me go scale and grow. But, you know, as I said, right, it all comes down to, you know, people like to work with Stratus because of the vision, because of the promise. And so never lose sight of that, right? Don't, don't make it about a quarter or a number or a sale. It's all about the, the future that you're trying to paint and you're getting somebody on that journey. Okay. And so what's more important, though, when you, when you are taking that next step? Because uh, you kind of started talking about two different aspects. Uh, new clients and new business or growing the business that you have? Yeah, I mean, again, there, is a, there are different kinds of uh, business models, right? And, and I'm assuming most of the B2B software plays today are all on subscription models, right? With subscription model, there's two big levers that you have. One is you get to get your new, uh, new users that you have to get on the platform. If, it's a, you know, if you're selling directly or if you, you, you want to have new clients. So expansion, you know, uh, hunting for new customers becomes important, right? But the more important aspect of any subscription business, because your valuation is purely based on your subscription and your future growth options, your future growth value, right? So it's important customer success is, I mean, to me, if you were to prioritize how do I actually increase utilization and use on my platform, my product, my software uh, before I go after net new customers? So that's a lever you have to actually think through. Are people, ha are users happy? Do they get what they want? Uh, are they looking for more? Because it's always going to be cheaper to expand an existing customer to do more with you than to hire, get a new customer. Your, you know, customer acquisition costs. Uh, depending on which market and what thing you pay, might be outrageous to get a new customer, right? Compared to an, uh, expanding an existing customer, um, there's no again no right answer to it. But it depends on one of the big things that I worry about when I think about the AI market personally is this market is moving so fast. We're still so early in the early innings, right? Uh, there is the need to actually move and capture as much ground as you can before, get as much raving fans of customers as you can, as early as you can. It's going to be incredibly important in this market. So for me, I'm thinking about it, and you know, we're a pretty well-funded, Series B-funded startup. You know, we got great marquee investors and stuff. We're you know, opening up all cylinders. We're just you know, slamming it. We spent the first four years you know, building out the, the platform, the core software and stuff with very measured sales engagements and stuff. We uh, now we're just, you know, since last year, we've just completely opened up and say, how do we build out this channel? How do we actually go expand? How do we put the muscle behind our top 15 customers who are really big, you know, Fortune 500 clients who all have huge expansion opportunities within them? So how do we put people behind it, method behind it, process behind it, and go make that happen? So uh, again, no, no right answer, but if you're actually a B2B, um, you know, subscription kind of play, uh, you cannot, you cannot, cannot afford to actually not have users be more engaged and active on your platform or software on the, at the cost of, you know, getting new customers. So prioritization will be go focus on making sure that you expand with existing customers to make them more sticky, more this thing, because it's all subscription, it's all future value. Then you go back and go in and do it if you had to prioritize. But if you can do it both, nothing like it, right? The other challenge that you got to think through, right, in early early stages in the company, uh, you got to be very. I mean, I'm going to reverse this conversation a little bit, right? You're trying to build a business. You're trying to start a company. 
it's going to be important that you actually choose your first few customers right. And it's an incredibly important aspect to think about, right? Having two or three customers who need entirely different things early part of your startup, in the early year of your startup, can spell disaster, right? Unless you have figured out a way to actually commonize their needs to do it, it's really hard to do, right? So let's say you get to uh, get a grocery store to buy your first uh, thing, and if you want to go into a bank and try to sell that them your, as your next customer, I mean, I can say that's pretty much you know, waiting for a disaster to happen. So it's incredibly important you select, you choose your customers first initially, right, to go make that happen. And then go focus and, you know, uh, my uh, CEO says it's like, you know, the way you grow a company is focus, credibility, distribution, right? So it's like you focus and to go solve the problem, build the deep domain expertise, make, build credibility, get that raving fans. And then that gives you, you get more and more of that, do it over and over again, that repeatability will give you credibility. And then you figure out the distribution mechanics of how do I go in and distribute my offerings through a channel partner, an SI, uh, other you know, big platform players, all of the above, or an ecosystem. Right? That's the stage. Don't get that order messed up, if you will. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. Because if you, you come to a client and you say, yeah, hey, we've worked with We've worked with uh, this grocery store chain before, and they're they're a bank. Uh, like it takes away a lot of credibility instead of actually helping you. Okay, how how would you have a salesperson uh, prioritize new business versus growth? Because you're saying that both are are sorry, growing existing business. You say both are important. So how do you have the salesperson focus on that? You know, it's uh, it's a very good question. I think. Um... In the way you structured your company or your, your, your field, commercial organization, if you have, you know, customer success is a different beast than selling, very different beast. It's much more hand-holding. It's a lot more, you know, hands-on. You're working with the clients, understanding. It's almost like a cross between sales and product management, if you ask me, right? Uh, not all salespeople are good customer success people. And not all good customer success people are good salespeople, right? So if you can afford it and you have the, the base that you actually, let's say you have the first 10 customers and they're all working on your product. They're all kind of in the similar market, similar space. If you can afford it, then I would just, uh, you know, make the sales guy, salesperson be just the relationship person to keep the conversation going, but put all onus on a customer success person, if there are two separate people, to go in and ex drive expansion. The salespeople then become the hunters, try to find new ground, new opportunities, new customers, right? But the, uh, the customer success person focuses on making the customer happy, expanding the entire environment, right? Now, this is still, we're still very early in a lot of these markets, right? So, uh, so that's one. But if you have the other way, if you're like still starting up and you have the first two clients and you're one salesperson, you have three salespeople uh, and you have five clients total, right? Uh, I would, you know, incentives play a long way, go a long way in the way you actually motivate them and direct them. I would give almost equal important, importance, initial stages, to find new clients versus you know 50% on trying to expand and increase uh, utilization of the platform. 
for an existing client, right? That's the way I would do it, right? But again, it depends on if you can afford to add another person that will just centralize all customer success and be the single point of contact for all those five customers. You can do that. You can do that. You can also, or you can just do this kind of uh, motivate them to go do both. Uh, but, you know, at least provide an equal importance initially. If I were to err on the side of uh, uh, being conservative, then I would say, um, uh, but I'm not very conservative, but I would say just err on the side of, you know, making sure that you're you're helping them expand and focus that more. But, I, you know, again, I tell you, I can't stress the importance of actually making sure that you get raving fans out of your first few customers, uh, because that will change the game, right? And, uh um, you know, if that requires your one person who's out there meeting with them every day to go do it, uh, to to spend more time understanding the environment, expanding the utilization, things like that, so be it. So there's no there's no right and wrong here. The other thing that you have to understand, and you know, this market, of course, is like the kind of caliber, the kind of salespeople that you want to hire, right? Um, you know, I strongly do believe that you know the the old uh, uh, days, the olden days of actually, I'm the salesperson, I know better about this product than anybody else, that thing is gone. People want to have a conversation, they want to interact with you. The hard charging, you know, aggressive salesperson who doesn't add value in interaction, don't have a place in this market right now, right? Because yeah, people, information is so ubiquitous, you don't need a salesperson to come and tell you about anybody's product. They can find it out on your website. Right. So are you able, are you the, the, the person as a sales maker who will connect the dots for them? Are you helping them solve the problem? Are you, you know, facilitating them to have deeper, more engaging conversations with other things? So the, the role of the salesperson has now become more, less of a pitch man, more of a quarterback, if you will, uh, to go make that happen. So I, I think, uh, uh, it, you know, my favorite answer is it depends, right? So, but I think if you're, depending on the stage of your company, if you want to be successful for the long term, focus on expansion and increasing and getting to uh, happy customers sooner. And then later on, and there's different schools of thought too. I mean, you might actually talk to somebody, uh, somebody else who's probably in my position, who's looking at, Hey, I want to build a long-term business and kind of becomes a lifestyle business and stuff. They'll have different importance on things, right? Now, you know, we haven't even talked about all the things around the 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 the, the money, the financing, finance side of things, right? Are you looking at you know breaking even, being profitable sooner versus are you just going to grow like a weed and everybody knows about you and you're building a company like Amazon, which for twenty years never turned a profit, right? So. There's so many different elements that will come into play on doing this, but uh, nutshell, early stage, focus on getting focus um, uh, and, and raving fans of customers, build credibility, and then think about distribution. Wow, a lot of, uh, a lot, it's very important, and I couldn't agree with you more. Now, we're we're running low on time, but uh, I, you hinted at something, and I want to get that. I know everybody's probably asking, what kind of salesperson uh, do you look for when hiring uh, to start and begin the team? Uh, good question. Start and begin the team, early days. If you're the CEO, you are the salesperson, right? I mean, there is no... Uh, you can't afford just to have a dedicated salesperson unless you're like really, I mean, you just don't want to do it. You just don't have the skills to do it, but it's about selling the vision, right? 
So in a nutshell, early days, if you're actually trying to grow a team, your first sales hire, first few sales hires and stuff, I'm going to look for someone who is uh, a more well-rounded person than someone who's a classic seller, right? Meaning someone who's got long, not someone who's got long sales experience in different companies and stuff, but someone who can think beyond just sales, someone who can actually think about saying, I'm an athlete as a part of this team, and I'm going to make a difference. And the role, the position that I'm going to play now is going to be be the chief communicator with the client. It's going to be the chief closer. It's going to be the chief, you know, uh, remover of obstacles for the client to get to value. And that's the mindset you want someone in. So I would look for someone who is definitely hungry and who's motivated for the long run, but who's more well-rounded than just a classic salesperson. That's just me, though, right, in the beginning. Beyond that, as you get, when you start growing the team and you actually start building out the team, you'll start noticing the areas that uh, you're not doing right. I mean, process will very quickly catch up on you. If you have more than a few customers, you have to have discipline around it. And great sales leaders, great sales uh, people are really good at process. And you know, you'll then look for someone who's actually who's got familiarity in your market. It's incredibly important who's got familiarity with the size of the companies that you're in. Because if you're a startup seller, I mean, I've had experiences where we've hired, you know, people who are really successful in these large companies and, you know, come with great energy and stuff. But they're very uncomfortable when they come to a small setting because they're like, okay, if I go in and have this conversation, uh, you telling me that, you know, I have to go build that solutions proposal here and I don't have a team to do it or so there's a lot of people who are you know uh, comfortable with having a team with them they're great sellers they're great salespeople, but they like the support system around them to go to when you're in a startup you're it right you are everything end to end so you want you want to look for folks who are more well-rounded more self-starters and driven to you know, make a big impact and want to grow with you, right? And then a point in time will come when you grow in scale that you need, you need a real sales leader. You need someone who's done this before at this stage and knows how to unlock value to go from here to the next, uh, um, to the, to the next path of the journey for the company, right? That's when you bring in the big guns. That's when you get look for people who are, um, you know, just a good hybrid of being able to work in a small environment but has the mentality, has the vision to take a small two or three people sales team to grow it to a, I don't know, 100 people sales team, $100 million, $500 million in revenue and growing and scaling the company. Uh, so it depends on your, you know, the stage of the company that you're in. Uh, but, you know, early on, I'll be looking for all-rounders than, uh, than specialists in a particular uh, kind of selling. Yeah, I, th I think you you just open up a lot more questions about <laughs> about what kind of sales leader like who who to take to the next uh, next step. But uh, we're we're out of time, and and I want to assume that you are double as busy as I think you are. So I don't want to take up any more of your time or our listeners. So <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today. Is there a way for people to uh, to reach out to you? Of course, yeah. No, you can uh, find me on. I'm pretty active on the social media. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ganesh B. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to network. Or you can email me directly at Ganesh at gpworld.io or Ganesh at cognitivescale.com. And happy to connect and network. All right, great. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Adam. 
Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit StartupSalesPodcast.com or email StartupSalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Ganesh, let's uh, finish up with the final five. What is your favorite sales or leadership book? The Challenges Sale. Good, good book, uh, a common favorite. Do you have someone that you follow or read for sales or leadership ideas? Uh, I don't. I mean, uh, not anyone in particular, but you know, I get my inspiration from most of the folks. There's actually one gentleman that, who was the head of sales at Nutanix, uh, Sudish Nair, good friend of mine, that you know, I'm always inspired by him, every interaction that I have. Uh, he's actually now, as of yesterday, the CEO of ThoughtSpot. Are you available 24-7 or do you have strict personal time boundaries? You know, it's, there is a, so two things. One, I don't believe in you know, compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing your life and personal versus work and stuff. You, you know, you've got to be on all the time. But there's a way you do it, right? I do have strict family time that I spend. If I'm not traveling, I'm in town. I'm spending time, quality time with my family every day. And so there's some boundaries you got to put in place. But you know, my favorite way to think about this is I look at life as a, and I've written a blog about it, and I'll send that to you. Uh, life is about, there's a locus of life construct that I actually lead with. There's like seven different dimensions your life can actually go, all the way from your vocational, professional life, to health, to spirituality, to your social obligations, to your family and health and so forth. And if you think about an Excel spreadsheet, uh, you can never, and think of this perfect spider chart where you can never get to all of those things, uh, all of those seven uh, parameters or uh, uh, vectors to be perfect at all times. You can do one, two, or three at the max, right? So you've got to manage it. You've got to see how you look at it as your entire whole life purpose and see which part am I going to hone in on this year or the next few years, if I'm building a company, I'm going to go deep into one vector. Some other parts of life is going to be uh, going to have to suffer a little bit. As long as you set expectations with your stakeholder, family, friends, customers, partners, you'll be golden. I mean, you can do everything in life, just not all at once. All right. Send that over to me. I'll put a, I'll put a note in the uh, show notes as well for everybody to listen Will to. Will do. Will do. What is your favorite tool used for sales? Um, Salesforce.com. <laughs> you know, I, if you ask me, right, that's the holy grail for sure with the way we actually manage our uh, pipeline and stuff. But I think uh, one of the, and the, I didn't come up with this, my, uh, my head of sales here, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, you know, Bob Horn. Bob is uh, um, pretty awesome at, uh, and very methodical at building mutual close plans with clients. And he makes sure that everybody does it. I'm a huge fan of that. Where you're sitting down with a customer and say, you want to get to success. I want to get to money. Let's write the plan what that takes, right? And if you ask me the single biggest tool in driving focused efforts and sales to me personally, I found that to be a very effective one. All right, last question. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders, CEOs, and sales management out there? Uh, one piece of advice for all founders and CEOs and early stage companies, I would say, is don't outsource sales, right? Do it yourself. And, you know, sales is not, um, it's, it's both art and the science, and it's not one thing or the other. 
it's not uh, uh, it's not just a process. What the, I would say two pieces of advice. If you're a founder or a CEO, don't outsource sales. Do it yourself. You be it. And then you'll learn a lot, and then you'll find out where the gaps are. That's what you want to fill with the sales leader. If you're a sales leader and stuff, just my, uh, you know, uh, and you're in a company trying to grow and scale, I would say is, uh, there is nothing more powerful than the vision and the journey you can take a customer with. So don't lose sight of that in the mad rush for making the quarterly numbers. And uh, focus on focus, credibility, distribution. Don't get the order wrong. It'll be golden. Excellent. Thank you again so much for uh, joining us today. That was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me, Adam.